The biggest problem I see is um, guys want to grow too, too much too fast. It doesn't mean you can install it properly. Doesn't mean you can sell it properly. Doesn't mean you can service the customers properly, answer all the questions properly. It's kind of like um, with your neighbor's lawn. You know how the, there's sometimes that like he'll mow a little bit of your lawn, you'll mow a little bit of his lawn. So it's kind of like a competitor in town. You don't just go over and just take over your whole neighbor's lawn. What you do is you mow like six inches of it this week. And then you mow six inches of it next week. And then you mow six inches. After about a month, that's your six inches. And then you do another foot, right? And so, and so by the end of summer, you may have gained like a two feet, you know, <laughs> a, a property. And he's cool with it because he's like, well, you know, I think, well, he's been mowing that the exact way for, you know, this whole year. Maybe that's his property, you know? Right, right, so right. <laughs> it's the same thing with competitors. If you go out there strong and just go after them, they're going to put you in their plate, in your place real good. You might even lose grip. Welcome to the Ride and Style Podcast, your turbocharged pit stop for automotive restyling. Buckle up with Jesse and Josh. All right, Josh, we're back for part two. Thank you for being with me today. I'm glad to be back. So last session we met, we talked about, we did an introduction. You talked about your background and some challenges and triumphs and the evolution of the industry. And we even went into kind of like memorable moments and you told some awesome stories and, <laughs> the, you, you, you know, um, business, we talked about business strategy a little bit and-, and All my failures. Exactly. And, and a really cool section about handling challenges. And you gave examples of how you deal with tough customers. And so the first question is, is can you share some advice for somebody just starting in the auto restyling industry? Yeah. You know, I think um, what happens, especially if you're starting in this business, there's so many avenues, there's so many products, there's so many vehicles, there's so many different kinds of customers. Uh, so my advice would be to do what you do well, you know, stay in your lane type of thing. Um, figure out what it is that you can do. If it's, if it's electronics, great. Do, do electronics, great. And get that under your belt before you jump into something else. The biggest problem I see is um, guys want to grow too, too much too fast. And they think, oh, well, I'm an auto accessory store, so I can do everything. Well... When you say you can do everything, just because you might be able to buy or have a partner to get everything doesn't mean you can install it properly, doesn't mean you can sell it properly, doesn't mean you can service the customers properly, answer all the questions properly. And I, that's why I, I'm just a big believer in get something, get really good at it. Maybe not perfect, but get really good at it before you bring something else in. And uh, I use the analogy one time. Uh, when I was talking to somebody, it's kind of like um, with your neighbor's lawn. You know how the, there's sometimes that like he'll mow a little bit of your lawn, you'll mow a little bit of his lawn or something like that. And if you're, you know, it's kind of like a competitor in town. You don't just go over and just take over your whole guy, the, your whole neighbor's lawn. What you do is you mow like six inches of it this week. And then you mow six inches of it next week. And then you mow six inches. After about a month, that's your six inches. And then you do another foot, right? And so, and so by the end of summer, you may have gained like a two feet, you know, <laughs> a, a property. 
And he's cool with it because he's like, well, you know, I think, well, he's been mowing that the exact way for, you know, this whole year. Maybe that's his property, you know? Right, right, so right. <laughs> it's the same thing with competitors. If you go out there strong and just go after them, they're going to put you in their plate, in your place real good. You might even lose grip. So just do it slowly. Bring on a new product. Get un- get your get, get it under your belt. Get it done well. And then and then branch out would be my that, suggestion. So that could be as uh, narrow as a specific product, right? Like let's say you really wanted to get good at leather installation or sunroofs or PPF. Yeah. Maybe focus on that and like become the expert in your area on that. Is that yeah. kind of what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we I remember um, for years and years and years, we never did products like hitches. We never did uh, window film, tint. You know, I got calls for tint for years and years and years. And I just, I wasn't ready for it. And and um, I think I tried it one time. We kind of failed. But eventually I said, okay, we're going to do this. But here, we're going to build the foundation a little bit better. We're going to take some risks. But we're not going to just, you know, do stuff and jeopardize. Because, especially if you're working with car dealers. If you mess up something for them, they don't remember what it is you messed up. So you can't go in like six months later and go, yeah, I know we're no good at window tint, but I'm still here. I'm here for your heated seats. Because to that guy, he's like, I don't remember what you guys did, but you messed something up and I got a bad survey and a customer got upset at me. I don't want to deal with you about anything. So especially restylers, you know, and or shops, you have to be careful with branching out because you don't want to jeopardize your current book of business and the current products you do. So... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be just as simple as one product that you just bring on or one category that you bring on, but you just got to slowly build into it. This is a little bit of a tangent, but you reminded me of a situation. I want to get your your advice and take on this. So, you know, we're working with, you know, an auto trim in in Seattle market and they, you know, when you get to the point where you're you've been around for 40 years and you do everything. Yeah. But there are certain things that that the company does better than other things. Right. Yeah. And there are times when it feels like it might make more sense to have a referral partner. And I'll give you an example of that. Right now, we're talking about this because of vehicle wraps. Yeah. So vehicle wraps is really hot. Yep. And right now, I mean, especially with fleet, uh, you know, commercial fleet vehicles or uh, small business owners, you know, they want to they wrap that truck and, and look amazing. So, you know, that's a really iffy one because could we do it? Probably. Mm-hmm. Are we like really amazing at it? Questionable. Yes. <laughs> and so, and we have a couple of them. And then, you know, the, sometimes those referrals happen and there's always a fear in some people in the business, like, oh no, if we refer anything out to anybody else, then we're losing business and it's going to be a one-sided. But I kind of believe that if you find a good partner, they might send you leads back, right? Like they yeah. could send you something that is more appropriate. How do you feel about all that stuff? No, I, I, I totally, in fact, that would be my suggestion too. before you just jump into it. Have you branched out to partner with somebody just to see if the book of business is really there? Mm. You know, you might think, okay, great. I'm going to get into color change wraps. I'm not going to do the fleet wraps where, you know, graphic design, printing, everything like that. I'm just going to do color change wraps where I just buy a roll of film and I wrap the car. Seems easy enough. Yeah. Um, but have you, have you sold a few? Have you outsourced it? Have you seen? what the what the installer is what the person you're outsourcing to that installer that company what questions are they asking you how are they charging you how are what 
what things are they doing to prep you? What's their time frame? What's their turnaround? So yeah, you might, and you can still make some money on that, but then it's done right. And then you could eventually go, you know, I think I've, I've, I've sent them about 10 of these now. <laughs> um, and we've, we've started to get pick up and I'm starting to send more. Maybe I should try to do this on my own. Absolutely. Or go buy them if they're, a, if you can buy the company <laughs> or go buy them, Absolutely. acquire, acquire. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, my next question is, is what would, what, uh, what would it be? If you could change one thing about the auto restyling industry, something that just bothers you or something that, man, I wish I could change that about this. Uh, you know, I, I really think the, the overall professionalism, because it can't, it, it's just, it, this whole industry just kind of grew out of itself. I mean, all of a sudden it's one day, you know, trucks never came to the dealership and they, they never came from the factory with bumpers. So they needed some, somebody to put on bumpers and some guys like, well, I'll just buy some bumpers and start selling them to you. Same thing with pinstripes and moldings. And then it all of a sudden it was one day where like, Hey, here's a sunroof you can put in a car and a guy. And there's somebody crazy enough to say, I'll cut a hole in the top of this new car and put a sunroof in it. And then one day in the eighties, it was, I think we could put leather interior in this uh, uh, car and make it look kind of like the way Honda does it. So it all kind of started from there. So we really are a young when it comes to an industry. Uh, and when I say young, I'm, I'm saying the seventies was like the dark ages. <laughs> so we're really less than 50 years into this business. Um, and when I look at the leaps and bounds that the, the products have taken, I worry that sometimes the shops, the shop owners, the restylers, the people in the industry have not taken those leaps and bounds the way and the way we do business, the way the products have. Uh, so, so I think the overall professionalism, the, the way we do business, the way we carry ourselves can sometimes, when I look around the country, can be a little archaic. Um, but can you give a couple examples just, just to make it more Sure. I mean, tangible. just the, I walk into some shops and everything's being done on paper. So old school, like the computer's got dust on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, those are processes that can help you keep track of things. So, you know, the customer service isn't as good when somebody calls in and says, Hey, did you guys do, uh, the heated seats on my vehicle? And some lady has to go, I don't know. I'll have to go look in the file cabinet upstairs and see if we did that. I mean, that's just, it's just not what we expect out of companies in this day and age. Um, and then, you know, just also the way it's even stuff is even being sold. Uh, I mean, you can call some shops around the country and say, Hey, how much is it for a remote start? Oh, I don't know you. We can do it for about 400 bucks. You know, it, it's <laughs> like, that's not professionalism. People are used to typing in, and seeing an immediate price of what it is, and then here, what does that include installation or not? And here's the features, and then they right, their right. next choice is yes or no, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, just some of that would I are just some examples of some just maybe raising the overall professionalism of the industry. Yeah, awesome. That's a good, good, and I yeah I I agree. Um, what's the next big goal or project you're excited about for your business? Oh. What's my next big goal? Um, well, for me, it's uh, we've really been on the brink of breaking into the fleet business. Um, 
And I, I, over the years, we talked, I think last segment, segment about how we needed to be more retail because we were just so dealer, you know, uh, focused and then the COVID really kind of hurt that. So we've, we've really worked on that. So now we are retail and dealer focused. However, I think there's another piece of that puzzle. Um, now that we have the full offerings and I have the talent to get everything done is why aren't we doing work with more fleets? Um, and when I say fleet business, I'm talking more of like the, um, I'm not talking like service bodies where we're changing out the whole bed, service body, that kind of stuff. I'm talking more just like the, the van racks, uh, ladder racks and shelving partitions, the graphics on the outside, the electronics that they need, the lighting on the inside. Um, I mean, I'm tracking, I just, tracking and security electronics as well, right? All that absolutely, kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Power inverters. A lot of them want, um, you know, and then along with that comes this easier stuff that maybe we've done. It's like the tonneau covers and, but I mean, I, I mean, I, I just, uh, we just, I just helped finish up a bid, you know, for a fleet company and it's everything from fire extinguishers to first aid kits to, you know, safety triangles to put roadside. Along with the a tonneau cover, a cap, uh, shelving, and all that kind of stuff. So, wow. you know, I mean, just being a, so I would like to eventually have the business be a third dealerships. Yeah. A third retail and a third fleet. Yes. Because yeah. I just, I just feel like the, when one is down, the other two will be able to uh, help that um, some right. way, somehow. So, be, so, so I think we're getting close. Um, we're right now probably 60 dealer, 30 retail, and 10 fleet. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. And I think others are in the similar boat. But eventually 30, 33, 33, 33 would be great. And then the other 1% can just be, you know, whatever. Employee purchases probably. Awesome. <laughs> how uh, how long do you think it'll take to get there? Do you think that's a year goal, a two-year, a five-year, or, or, or what? Uh, you know, I don't care. Uh, uh, as long as I see consistently that, you know, cause I really don't know, I don't want to say, uh, I don't want my expectation to be two years. And then all of a sudden, if we're not there in two years, you know, we, it's a failure. It's not, you know, are we consistently growing it? In, um, in and how much focus and attention, money marketing is it taking to do that? Right, you know, right. cause I knew with enough money and marketing, I could grow it really fast, but is that really making us is that really doing the job? Is it make, are we making money on it? Are we, are we losing eyesight? Are we losing ground over here? And that's why, I, yeah. I mean, the goal is to, to grow it while the other two are not failing. Right. Right. Exactly. I could, well, I could and, be 70% fleet overnight, but I am not doing any business. <laughs> right. Well, and you also have to have your production to be able to keep up with that. Operations has to keep up with that. The, the, the whole system, you don't want to break the whole system. So that healthy yeah. growth and yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's move on to some, just some final takeaways and some recommendations. So my first question is, is if you could go back to when you first started knowing what you now know, mm. what's one thing you'd do differently? One or two things. What would you change? Um, I would be... I, I think my management style and or just maybe getting out of the way sooner than uh, than it took me. Um, I think I had too much. Uh, I was wanting to I, I was involved too much. I, my control or my just having to have my thumbprint on everything. We talked about that funnel. Um, 
getting out of the way and just trusting employees to know that they will do it. They may not do it your way, but they will do it. And some of them will grow from it and they will get better and make you better. Um, you always hear about these guys who are very successful, like, well, they put really smart people around them. And it's true. You can put really smart people around them. But if you don't let them do their thing, <laughs> then you're still you're still just a one person show. So uh, I would I would talk I would go back in time and talk to myself and say, listen, you've got great ideas. You 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 have the desire, you have the will, but maybe just take a step back and let things happen. And don't get involved too quickly to try to solve or correct or fix or do this, that. Just let people make some mistakes and learn from it and you'll grow more longer, faster. I think what I'm hearing too is like you you don't want to micromanage and also you don't want to have to save people, right? Like there's yeah. it's one thing to instruct and coach and guide and direct and and delegate, but you don't want to come in and save them every time there's a little 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 problem and it, they become addicted to that too yeah because you're enabling the behavior of not being self-sufficient yeah <laughs> i think like, I, hey. I think going right along with that is uh and a good friend of mine a mentor in the business says you know you're driving a bus that's the company everybody on that bus is in a seat but if something's not working either that person is in the wrong seat on the bus or they need to get off the bus Right. And I've always been more of a, oh, no, we'll just keep Bill doing this and doing that. We'll just keep, no, he's he's a good person or she's great, you know, this, that. Sometimes you just have to either get them off the bus or move them into the right seat where they can flourish. And I'm I'm, I've always been slow to react to that. And now I've got some people that are pushing me to be faster and reacting to that and saying, you know, we can't just keep trying to cover over the, this, their mistakes or this or that. They just either need to be in another seat or they need to be off the bus. That's great. Awesome. Uh, let's move on to the tip of the week. Tip of the week. Uh, and and uh, what's one tip you would give folks starting in the restyling industry? It, it might be a tool uh, or a book or, uh, or one resource that made a difference for you. Um, I would say for me, it's uh, be... We and we talked a little bit about it last week is take every phone call, visit every person, be that person for them, be that guy, be the yellow pages or be the Google where they're calling you. I just had a guy call me this morning. It was awesome. Like, I haven't talked to him in a long time. He's a used car manager at a store. Um, and he calls me, he goes, Josh, I just got to ask you a question. You know, I'm having my, I, I got the, I bought this vehicle for the store. It's got big lift wheels and tires and the tire and it's shaking real bad. What, what, what can I do? You know? And so, you know, I gave him a few options. Now, none of them had to do with us, but I said, here, call this person, you know, maybe have them look at, you know, see if they've got a road force balancer or call this person. If that doesn't work, then maybe it's a bed wheel. I said, but it's gotta be one of those things, unless you got really cheap tires and they're old or this or that. And so he, but he knew that, even though I wasn't going to do anything, make a dime off of him or anything like that, he knew he could call me and I would give him the right or the honest answer and put him in the right direction. And so he's got me on speed dial, even though I haven't talked to him for right, six months. So now I'm worried. But no, uh, he, he's got me on speed dial and he does a lot of business with our company. But he knows that if I need to call, if I've got an issue, I've got a guy in my pocket. So if you're starting off, 
got to do that for people because they'll, they will be look to you and they will give you work because they want to keep you in the Rolodex, so to speak. You're, you're the go-to guy. Yeah. I love yep. it. That's great. Um, this is a bonus question. I just thought of it. Um, let's talk about SEMA just because this big event is coming up here uh, yeah. really soon. It's yes. like a, I mean, we're flying out of here pretty quick. So um, tell me about that for you. What are you doing at SEMA? First of all, how do you feel about it? What's your role in it? And what, what do you do? I, I know this might take a few minutes, but yeah, I'd love yeah, to get yeah. a little background. And let's talk about SEMA and your, your participation and what you do in it. But man, I, I look back, SEMA's changed for me a lot over the years. I mean, when I first went to my first SEMA 20 some years ago, it was, uh, you just go in and I would walk the show in a few days and I'd fly out. Um, and yes, the primarily still is a trade show where you're going in, you're trying to see new products and this, that, but most stuff you're most stuff. I feel you don't see that at the show. There are some stuff, but for the most part, when a, when a manufacturer comes out with something new, they email blast everybody or they put it on their website. So, or their social media channels. So you're going to see it. It's not just the show that they review all these things. Um, you might be able to have more discussions in purpose, but now I've transitioned, um, because technically I go as a buyer. Um, so, you know, I'm walking through, I'm looking for stuff, you know, something new, something might fit into our business, maybe another, another product. Um, but also you're also, I'm also spending time talking to the manufacturers that I do business with, find out what's coming down the pipeline for them. What issues are they having? You know, um, I might have some issues that I need their help on. And when you have that one-on-one -on -one discussion, it's better than a phone call. Um, so it's just, you know, kind of doing that. But for me, SEMA has really turned into a networking event over the, the last 10 years or so. So about 10 years, I got involved with SEMA Pro, the professional restylers organization. Um, so we have, a, we have a booth out there. We have some meetings. We have the Pro Cup Challenge where it's a big, uh, uh, for restylers around the country, build vehicles and they bring them. And it's just restyling packages. It's not these $150,000 packages that you see out on the lot that nobody's going to sell. These are everyday drivers that resellers can come and see these packages. So having a hand in putting that program together was fun. Um, volunteering, you know, 365 days out of the year for SEMA and has been fun. So now, uh, for instance, I fly in on Sunday, whereas never I would come in maybe Tuesday. Now I come in Sunday. Um, I do have one meeting Sunday evening. And then Monday, while all the manufacturers are setting up their booths, um, I've got three or four meetings, a couple interviews. Um, I've got a, a new product showcase uh, judging that I have to do. Um, and then on Tuesday, I hope to walk the show a little bit. Um, but I also am doing a, uh, I'm doing a live presentation for our new software for Restyler Connect um, cool. in the Vox Exciting. booth. In the morning and then catskin booth in the afternoon i might have that backwards um so i'm doing that tuesday and wednesday and then tom my partner is doing it thursday and friday um and then wednesday or tuesday i'll walk the show wednesday um i have a few meetings and then we have our happy hour in the pro booth tuesday night we have our rece pro reception at five o'clock outside so restylers can come to that and then thursday for me is big just because I've got a uh, general membership meeting at 7.30 in the morning for SEMA. And then that night is our live banquet um, that we have, which is pretty cool. And 
Um, last year I won uh, Restyler, or I'm sorry, SEMA Person of the Year. So this year I get to hand it out. So that'll be fun to hand out to the Person of the Year. So there's usually three or 4,000 people there that everybody's dressed up, black tie affair type of thing. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. So it's changed a lot for you. Um, and what's your official title uh, for in SEMA Pro? Uh, right you? now I am the immediate past chair. So, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, IPC is they, what they call us. So I'll do that for another year and a half and then I will be put out to pasture. Okay. <laughs> is it uh, a lot of responsibility? It sounds like quite a bit. You know, uh, being, uh, being on the select committee. Yep. It's just, there's good responsibility. There's like, uh, there's, uh, 15 of us now. Um, and we're, we really have a voice in leading the industry and where we're going. And we have, uh, three close to 300 members that we're responsible to, you know, do stuff for and make the industry easier and try to give them tools. Um, but then you, uh, I, I did that for six years and then I were, uh, ran for chair. So for two years, you become the chair elect. And so that becomes more work. And then for two years, you become the chair, which is a lot of work. Um, and then the IPC is more of just a consultant role. So, uh, I'm there to support the chair and the chair elect, and they might add my, ask my advice, but Usually it's because you've been around a lot longer that you, you know, than some of the newer people, you can maybe give them some advice or consultation. That's awesome. What's, uh, what's the, uh, what's the benefits for, let's say somebody getting in an installer or restyler, why would they want to join and be a part of it? Well, you would want to be a part of pro for a couple of reasons, the networking, some of the extra tools we have, the stuff that's available, the education that we have available, um, you know, that that's vital to be, and to have a voice in the industry. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people have no idea that's going on with uh, uh, legality and overreaching uh, from the government affairs that, that are trying to outlaw certain things. I mean, very, very close to now, there could be a law put in place that you can't modify your own car. Now, if that happens now, granted, they're going after the um, the body shops and maybe the mechanics that aren't using OE parts. But if they end up winning that battle, then technically you can't even put window tin on your car. Now, what if that were just to happen overnight and the shops were like, what? Well, we're in the middle of kind of, you know, the discussions and, you know, and SEMA's really taking that fight to them right now. So just being involved in that and having a voice and staying in tune with that is important. So huge. Yeah. And, and then there's also the giving back factor. I mean, you give back your time, you give back some of your you know, knowledge, your expertise and things like that. But I, I'll tell you, I mean, I you always gain three times what you put in and what you give. So it's really been nice uh, last 10 years for me. That's awesome. Yeah. I look forward to it. This, this will be a, a great, my actual first trip to SEMA. So. Awesome. It's going <laughs> to blow you away. Wear nice yeah. walking shoes, double up your socks. And uh, it's kind of a lot of miles. You're, you're yeah. I mean, you'll walk easily 17 miles a day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I did sign up for a whole lot of classes. Okay. So they, and I don't know if I should go to them all. I mean, literally, you, I could spend the whole time just sitting in a class if, yeah. if you want and yeah. not even get to walk it. So yeah. uh, I, I don't know if that's good or bad. I signed no, up for them anyway. I, I say tell people, I still tell people to sign up for a couple of them. I, you know, I don't know about all day. You're, you're going to start hearing the same thing over and over again. But, right. you know, especially if you're in the marketing side. So you've got a lot more that you yeah. want to be here and be a part of. Um, I try to, I try to do a couple education seminars and that's the thing. Another thing people don't know, realize is you have yeah. experts in the industry telling you exactly what to do and yeah. you're there for free, just writing stuff down. So it's great. 
Yeah. Really cool stuff. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I look forward to seeing you there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll have a good time. All right. Hey, this has been awesome. Is there any last words? Anything else you want to mention? No, I, you know, I look forward to uh, getting some people on here and I look forward to doing some interviews because I mean, a lot of people, you might think I'm smart, but there's a lot smarter people on here we can get that really can help us out. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. And we got a whole list of them. So I'm excited about that too. Yeah. All right, Josh. All right, Have Jesse. A good one, man. Thank you All very right. much. Really we'll see you next week. It. And there you have it. Another high octane episode of the Ride and Style podcast. Revved up and ready to go. Your hosts, Jesse Stoddard and Josh Polson, shifted your automotive game into overdrive. If you're hungry for more insights, trends, and game-changing interviews from the automotive restyling universe, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a glowing review. We'd also love for you to share this podcast with your gearheads, installers, and auto lovers network. Because remember, knowledge is power, but shared knowledge turbocharges the whole industry. For more expert resources to supercharge your business, cruise on over to autostylemarketing.com, your one-stop shop for everything automotive marketing. Until next time, keep those wheels spinning and your passion ignited. Thank you for riding in style with us. See you on the next lap.